Well, celebrating uh, Christmas is sort of like an anniversary. Um, but some of you didn't know it. We didn't make a big deal out of it. I might mention it again on Sunday. But um, as Jesus' birthday, which we're going to find out tonight was not December 25th, is something that's commemorated and celebrated. And, um, uh, but we also, I'll announce something that some of you don't know, that... This is our 40th anniversary of being Calvary Chapel of Appleton. Actually, we started meeting in the Little White Church in 1979. Um, And we were very surprised to see the growth. We were fellowshipping with Pastor Spina on Sunday, and then we'd have Tuesday and Friday night Bible studies. Well, that just exploded, and um, I told the group at that time that um, we were going to start Sunday mornings um, at what we affectionately call the Little White Church. And I said, anybody that wants to um, stay here, I don't want to put any pressure on anybody. If you want to stay with Pastor Spina, I, th- I think um, uh, I looked up to him more than any of the uh, evangelical pastors. We call them the Godfather. <laughs> Speeda. <laughs> and, um, but um, almost everybody came to the little white church and before you knew it, we had outgrown it. And um, that's how the first Pilgrim's Cafe came about. Uh, we thought we'd turn it into a church. But uh, we figured out, no, that's not going to be big enough. So we started looking, and um, we purchased this facility in, um, and began, being, we, we bought it in 81, we moved in, completely remodeled everything. This is the old Schaefer Dairy for you old-timers. That's the Schaefer Dairy's house right across the street, and the farm and the barn used to be right over there where the parking lot is. And um, um, then it was Studio 9000, a notorious um, place. When we bought it, I mean, it actually had the, 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 the disco ball, and it actually had a dance floor with lights underneath it. There was not one window in the place, shag, carpet on the walls and black and white shag carpet on the floors and we gutted the place and uh, we have footage of actually that that all happening special memories but it is sort of an anniversary for us so I just thought I'd let you guys know that it's in 1982 um, uh, or 1981 and beginning of 82 it's been 40 years for us, so it's a sort of celebration for us. I might mention that again on, on Sunday morning. So we're looking at Luke. So we all know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. So let's begin tonight by asking, so when was Jesus born? And we can actually determine that time by looking at the time when Mary went to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth hid herself for five months. Remember, they were too old to have children. 
Um, and then the angel Gabriel announced to Mary both Elizabeth's condition and that Mary also would bear a son who would be called Jesus. Uh, Mary went with haste to visit Elizabeth, who was then in the first week of her sixth month or the fourth week of December 3rd BC. If Jesus was born 280 days later, it would place the date of his birth on September 29th, 2 BC. If Jesus was born on September 29th, 2 BC, it's interesting to note that it was also the Feast of Tishri, or the day of the Feast of Trumpets. The early Christian church did not celebrate Jesus' birth, and therefore the exact date had not been preserved in festivals. Uh, The first recorded mention of December 25th is on a calendar from 354 BC, which assumed Jesus' birth to be Friday, December 25th, 1 AD. Now when the Emperor Constantine, and for the first 300 years, Six million Jews, I believe, were Christians, were um, persecuted and killed in a Colosseum and um, hunted down. Uh, I visited Rome and seen the Colosseum, but what impressed me was the catacombs. And they lived underground. And um, it was something, once you've been there, you'll never forget. And this is how they existed for the first 300 years. And then Constantine, the emperor, came to power. Don't know if um, it was a true conversion, but nonetheless, he reversed the, um, um, when Constantine uh, became a Christian, he declared Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire in the Edict of Toleration in 312 A.D., the persecuted Christians exchanged the rags of hiding for the silks of the court. The inevitable culture change caused many of the former pagan rituals to be adapted to their new Christian trappings. I mean, Yuletime log, mistletoe, Christmas trees. Don't get on a guilt trip if you got a Christmas tree at home. Doesn't bother me a bit. But all these things come out of, um, of um, the holiday, the pagan holiday of, of Saturnalia. Uh, the date of December 25th was officially proclaimed by the church fathers in 440 AD was actually a vestige of the Roman holiday of Saturnalia observed near the winter solstice. So this would be some of the shortest days of the year right now. Um, which itself was among the many pagan traditions inherited from the early Babylonian priesthood. So we're reading here, and there's a really good probability because the shepherds would not have had their um, um, sheep out because it's very, very cold, and they uh, narrowed it down and we probably believe the date of the Lord's birth would have been September 29th, 2 BC, because we know the dates of Elizabeth's birth. Um, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. 
and um, they would have known each other growing up. Well, we read this, that the shepherds saw all of this in what's called the shepherd's fields. And I'm gonna show you the shepherd's fields tonight, and here it is. And I'm gonna tell you some stories. There it is. Um, what you're looking at, if you look, keep going south or over that rise there, is actually if you go another, oh, 25 miles or so, you run into the Dead Sea. Now, where this picture is taken from is one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, we go to the shepherd's fields and we give a Bible study. Now, if you go to the, as far as you can to the right where you see where the hill is going up, if the picture was a, a little bit bigger, you would actually see the city of Bethlehem. So these are the shepherd's fields. Now, whenever we go there, there's a family that waits for the tourist bus to show up. Because when the tourist bus shows up, they come out with one little boy and he will bring the sheep out. Because they know if, they know we're gonna do a Bible study there. So if we can use them as a prop over the years, they got used to, I knew this family. And uh, matter of fact, last time I was there, the mother actually came out and sang to us. And they also know that I'll, I'm going to slip them a couple bucks for bringing out, uh, out the sheep. So what we do, and um, this is an A spot. When I say A spot, this is the real deal. This is the shepherd's fields. And the amount of history in the Bible study that I give there is rather um, very personal. But you'll have, we'll actually have the, the sheep in the background, the shepherd's fields, but then I give a little bit of the history of the shepherd's fields because it goes back as far as the book of Ruth and Naomi who lived with her husband um, Elimelech in Bethlehem and there was a famine and they had to leave Bethlehem because of the famine and they went to Moab where Ruth was from. Uh, Ruth and um, another gal married um, Naomi's two sons. They both die. So Naomi says, I'm going home. The famine, we got word, the famine's over, so we're headed home. And she said, I want you two girls to stay here. And one of them did, but, but Ruth said, no, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And um, I'm not leaving. And so she comes back. Now, this all happened as they come back to Bethlehem, they run into Boaz, who owns a a field, and this is where Ruth would go out daily and glean. There's a provision in the law, if you're poor, that you couldn't reap your whole harvest. You had to leave the corners for the poor people, sort of a social program that they had. And so that's what Ruth would do. And Ruth would go out and she would glean in the fields and one day Boaz took one look at her and it was love at first sight. And so he goes to the guys and he says, I don't want one guy laying a finger on this girl. As a matter of fact, when she's gleaning, you take some of the 
the grain out of your bag and kind of threw it on the side so that when Ruth came home that night to Naomi, Naomi goes, where in the world were you gleaning today? And so she tells the whole story. All right, long story short, they fall in love. And here's the picture. Um, When Naomi left the land, she had to sell her house and her property because it was part of uh, moving on. And in so doing, um, it was now um, owned by somebody else and they don't have money to buy it, but a goel is called a kinsman redeemer. And in the law, that person could buy that piece of property back. So all of that to say that um, Naomi moved back into her own house. Boaz and Ruth fall in love. They eventually get married and they have a son who father's name slips my mind right now, but he had a son who we know as King David. So now we go from the book of Ruth to David, who, what did he do? Well, he was a shepherd in Bethlehem. And I'm telling this, and I'll stop every once in a while when I'm giving this Bible study here, and, I'm gonna, and I tell the people, this all happened. The book of Ruth happened right here. David's shepherding happened right here. Uh, David reigned in 3000 um, BC. Fast forward um, uh, those um, couple thousand years, and we have in the same shepherd fields where the angels appeared to the shepherds. All of that happened in this one place. And when you're sitting there taking it all in, it really is an overwhelming experience. I'm gonna leave this up for the rest of, um, of the study. But all that history, it is relatively unchanged, except for you know the olive trees and fig trees are gonna die and regrow after a period of time. But as far as it remaining looking the same, um, it actually is uh, quite an experience. Well, not only did the angel appear to humble shepherds, but there was also, that, that would be the humble that the Lord chose himself to reveal his birth, but not only the humble, but some of the most powerful men in the world were also a part of it. They're called magi. And you need to turn to Matthew chapter two as we look at um, the term for magi is literally king makers. And in Matthew two, we'll pick it up in verse one, we'll read through verse 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men. Now they're called wise men here, but they're really magi. From the east, I'm gonna take you back to Daniel and explain how they even came to be. 
came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now notice this, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Question, just stop and think, why would, why would uh, three, three guys, we three kings from, <laughs> like the song goes, uh-uh, all of Jerusalem is freaking out, including Herod. All of Jerusalem with them, and when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said, in Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophets, but you in the land of Judah are not least among the numbers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So they want to know when did the star show up and how did it direct you here? And you can imagine the conversation that they were having. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, well, bring him back word to me that I might come and worship him too. Yeah. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed again to their another way. Now, I'm gonna come back and we'll finish the study with uh, verses 13 through uh, 19. But for now, we have to ask the question, well, well, who are these guys that would upset the whole city of Jerusalem? Uh, we'll answer these questions this Christmas Eve. The answer is, they are wise men, but much more than that. They are wise men from the east. Why was Herod troubled? And how did they know to follow the star? Well, I'm going to turn and have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter five, the last verse of chapter five, and then Daniel chapter six, the first couple verses. And let's ask the question again, who are these guys that would cause everybody to be afraid in Jerusalem? Well, let me just say this. They were students of Daniel. They were students of Daniel. The last verse of chapter five tells us that very night Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Medes. Okay, this is, um, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Well, we're talking about the Persian Empire. And we read in verse chapter six, 
it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom uh, 120 satraps to be over the whole country. And over these governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the, the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave him thought to setting him over everything. Okay? So what we have here is Daniel is raised up because remember the famous writing on the wall in verse 25 where it says, many, many, tekel, upharsin. Uh, means your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel was the one who told them. And it made quite an impression on Belshazzar, and that was the night that he was slain, and now the Medes and the Persians take over from um, um, the Babylonian Empire, and we have the beginning of the Persian Empire. The kings that, um, the title that was given to Daniel at this time is Rab Mag, that's R-A-B-M-A-G. And the translation of that is Chief of the Magi. And that was his title. He was over all the Magi, or over all the wise men. And what was Daniel noted for? For being able to interpret visions, to be able to interpret dreams. And evidently, in one of these dreams, it was a stool capacity whereby civil and political counsel was invested with religious authority that the Magi became the supreme priestly caste of the empire with so much authority and power, remember now the Persian Empire is ruling the world, and as being ruler of the entire world, they were the ones who decided who would be king and who would not be king. That's the authority that they had. Somewhere, and it doesn't tell us where in the scripture, that um, we'll get to the star in just a little bit, It was at this time that the Magi, in their dual priestly and governmental office, composed the upper house of council of the magistrates, which duties included the absolute choice and election of the king of any realm outside the Persian Empire. Remember, they're over the whole world. And um, the Magi had such authority that they were the ones who determined who's going to be king over here and who's going to be king over there. And magi literally means kingmakers. It was therefore a group of Persians, kingmakers, who entered Jerusalem in the latter days of the reign of Herod. Herod's reaction was understandably one of fear when one considered the background of the Roman Pathian rivalry that prevailed during his lifetime. In Jerusalem, the sudden appearance of the Magi, probably traveling in force with imaginable uh, pomp and accompanied by 
cavalry escorts to ensure their safety penetration of Roman territory, uh, certainly alarmed Herod and the populace of Jerusalem. It would seem as if these magi were attempting to perpetrate a border. So what I've just read about the magi in their beginning goes back to Daniel's time. Who conquered the Medo-Persians? Well, that would have been the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great, who conquered the Grecian Empire? Well, the Romans. And they're the ones that are, are in power now. And um, so we're fast forwarding from Daniel, who evidently clued them in or had a vision about um, the star. It seemed. I don't know if I read it or not. It would seem as if these magi were attempting to perpetrate a border incident which would bring swift reprisal uh, from Pathian armies. Uh, The request of Herod regarding the one who was born king of the Jews was a calculated insult to him who had contrived and bribed his way into office. In the providence of God, the messianic prophecy of the kingdom having been uh, then fulfilled, the Magi being warned in a dream, a form of communication most acceptable to them, departed to their own country with empty hands. Now, in Matthew chapter, let's go back to Matthew chapter two, and let's look at verse two, which tells us Jesus was born Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem where he who was been born saying where is he who was born king of the Jews for we have seen notice his star. I'm going you don't have to turn I'll turn to um, um, Micah chapter 5 and read a couple verses there. Micah 5 We'll read verse one as a reference, I believe, to to the Lord. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek, which is what they did in Mark chapter 15, verse 19. And then here's the prophecy that's quoted. But you, Bethlehem, Euphrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from old, from everlasting. In other words, he's always been. And now it's being quoted. And um, the, the thing that's strange about this here is his star, I want to go to the book of uh, Numbers, chapter 24 I'm turning to, if you aren't taking notes right now, and I'm going to read verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, a battering the, the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of tumult. And 
here is a reference to the star, which is called his star. And actually, it was a form of guidance to guide the wise men from where they were as they followed it to um, Bethlehem. And here's the thing, when they were asked the question to Herod back in Matthew chapter two, um, the thing is, they actually knew. And they quoted what we just quoted, um, that out of, uh, out of Bethlehem, verse six, they actually knew the answer to the question. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? And uh, so Herod calls the, the, the scribes and the people together, inquired, and they asked, where was Christ to be born? And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophets, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall arise and come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, this has not been fulfilled yet because we know that when he came into his own, what does it say? His own received him not. And so he was actually rejected. Um, In 16 through 18, we find here that, um, well, let's just, there was division already. Um, uh, Herod was threatened and um, he lies to them and says, well, when you find him, let me know because I want to come and worship him too. No. Um, He, as we're going to finish this tonight, there's another prophecy where he's eventually going to have all the the male children, two years and younger, killed. Why? Because he's threatened and he's causing division. And I want to, stop and make a a personal application here and say this. Do you know that Jesus always brings division? Say it again. Do you know that Jesus always brings division? When I look back at Luke 2, verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest, this is what the angel said, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And I say, well, yes, peace on earth to those who know him, but peace on earth, and I look around and I say, say what? Peace on earth? What's he talking about? Something that has not yet been fulfilled. And when we read here, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, Um, we find peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Is there peace on earth and has there been peace on earth? No, not in the last 2,000 years. There will be. And what he's talking about here is something that is yet future. But it's Christmas time and I want to make this practical and personal at the same time. Because at Christmas time, um, when you get together, you'll either be debating about taking the vaccine or not taking the vaccine. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven or is there other ways to heaven? And 
all these conversations are going to spring up. Well, I want to get a little sidetracked here because the angel clearly said, peace on earth. And you look around and go, yeah, where? No, that's not, you got to compare scripture with scripture. And now I'm going to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to quote verse 32, where it tells us, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny me before my Father is in heaven. Jesus is coming right out in here and saying, look, I'm the only way. There's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Good place for an amen. Church, (laughs) good place for an amen. And then he says this, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. Huh, that directly contradicts what the angels declared. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's foes will be those of his own household. How many households are divided today just over the backs? A lot of them. How many households are divided by saying, and you're trying to witness to them and share with them, and you're going, you mean you're really trying to tell me that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? And we go, yep, that's exactly what we're saying. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. No, I've come to fulfill it. What do you mean by that, Dwight? Well, the law, the Ten Commandments. Oh yeah, and there's 613 besides those. And we've pretty much broken every one of them. Probably another good place for an amen. Anybody here want to raise their hand and say they've kept all 613 of them? I'm looking hard, I'm seeing none. (laughs) Well, my point is this. Why would the angel declare peace on earth and goodwill towards men? And then Jesus come right out and says just the opposite. Don't think that I've come to do that. No. You see, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, it brings a sword. It brings division. The audacity that you would stand up there and say that Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can make it to heaven. By the way, that's what the Pope is saying today. Just as long as you believe in God, just as long as you think you're a good person. And yet, what Jesus clearly is saying, that he has come to cause that division in the family to make people choose. And then he goes on to say, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Yeah, but it's my mom and my dad, and it's my sister and my brother. Yeah, and I'm supposed to be your first love. The greatest commandment is what? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and soul and all your might. Mom and dad, brothers and sisters, cousins and relatives. Second, third, fourth, fifth down the line. And so as we gather here Christmas Eve, we have to take the task what the angel declared. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And then the Lord clarifying it, not now. 
Now let me say this. It can be translated that there will be peace of goodwill. Another translation actually says those who have made their peace with God. And that's another translation which I believe is more correct. And what did Jesus say about his peace? In the world you won't have peace, but my peace I give unto you. Can you imagine having a peace that passes human understanding? That in the midst of all this junk that's going on in the world today, in the middle of this storm, you can have peace. And that can be that translation there. Well, peace on earth, well, that's coming. It's not here right now. The Lord is coming very quickly for his church. The world is gonna enter the worst time that this world has ever known. Jesus called it the great tribulation. He says there's never been a time like it before. There's never gonna be time like it again. And at the end of that seven-year period of time, he's gonna come back. He's gonna clean house at the Battle of Armageddon. And then what are you gonna do? Set up the kingdom that the angel was talking about. His kingdom that he promised to David. The millennium, a thousand years where Jesus Christ rules forever and ever for a thousand years. And then the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about eternity. And uh, my personal opinion is, is it's probably so far beyond our comprehension that he just gives us little bits and pieces of it. What Paul said when he went to the third heaven, he says, I can't tell you about it. The things I heard, I it would be unlawful for any man to try to describe. He's just talking about what he heard, not much less of what he saw. So, as we look around, he will bring in that kingdom eventually. Until then, uh, we know this much about our creator. And this isn't going to be long tonight, and I'm going to start wrapping things up here. And um, do you actually know that there's certain things that God cannot do? Yeah, I'll list three of them here. We read in the Gospel of John, matter of fact, I'm gonna turn there and, and read it where we're told in John chapter one, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, not some things, all things were made through him, and without him nothing made that was made. He, Jesus, is the creator. He made all things. He made you. He made me. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he created everything. Jesus is a creator because he's one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But yet, there are three things that God, Jesus Christ, cannot do. Number one, he can't lie. Jesus, the Father, 
cannot lie. Number two, he cannot learn. He knows everything. There isn't nothing that he doesn't know. He knew everything that was gonna happen and um, he knows everything that's gonna happen to you tomorrow. And he's gonna allow that to happen because he is sovereign. And um, he can't learn because there's nothing that God doesn't know. Another good place for an amen. What's the third thing? Well, he can't make you love him. And this is where I have a big problem with Calvinism and the Gospel Coalition and predestination. That you're either predestined to heaven or you're predestined to hell. As Dave Hunt would say in his book, what kind of love is this? You see, if you're gonna, let's let's use the marriage relationship because aren't we called the bride of Christ? One of the main reasons we can't go through the tribulation. Hey, honey, where would you like to go uh, your honeymoon? How about the Sahara Desert? Uh, I'm just thinking more of Hawaii, actually. (laughs) No, we're not going through that. That's a time of Jacob's trouble that has to happen. But he can't make you love him. I can stand up and declare the gospel to you. But what you have and why I'm against predestination, yes, you have been predestination, but you have to follow that up according to the foreknowledge of God. Well, what do you mean by that, Dwight? Well, God knew ahead of time that you would choose him. Therefore, we can say you were predestinated. But you gotta add to that according to his foreknowledge because he knows everything. He knows whether you will reject him or he knows whether or not you will accept him. Now, there's four things he doesn't know. A sinner he doesn't hate. A sin he doesn't hate. A sinner he doesn't love. An alternative path to his throne but through his son, there's only one way, a better time to receive his son than right now. I tell people I, I would rather do a funeral any day than a wedding. And they go, what, are you crazy? <laughs> no, I quote Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus, who says it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party. You go, what do you mean it's better to go to a funeral? That sounds crazy. No, it's not. Because he goes on to say, because at a funeral, the living will lay it to heart. When you're enjoying a Packer game or a party, are you thinking much about your eternal soul? No. But when you go to a funeral, and here's this casket up here, and you know this person, you love that person, and it's at a funeral that you're thinking, well, what about me? And the reason I'd rather do the funeral is I have a captive audience where maybe for the first time they're actually contemplating their own mortality. That I'm gonna die someday. 
And if this guy is right, do I want to play Russian roulette with what he's saying? What if he is right? What if Jesus is the only way? And I'm contemplating that now. Would would you have believed three years ago, Christmas 2019, 2018, the way the world has changed in that amount of time? I'm watching what's, this is total sidetrack, not my notes at all as I close this thing up tonight. Right now, Russian troops are preparing for an invasion in the Ukraine. That's happening right now. And why I find that interesting is uh, there's 20,000 troops that are doing what they're calling military exercises as I speak. And uh, the troop buildup is tremendous. Now on the Ukraine side, they're digging trenches. Why would you dig a trench and bring all your troops and all your armament up to the front lines? And then I knew something, but I was reminded about it today. And that is that when George Washington crossed the Delaware, when did he do it? Do you know when he did it? He did it on Christmas Eve. And the buildup that we see happening right now, and you can do your own homework on this and be a Berean, just type in Russia, war, Ukraine, and see how many different, you're not gonna hear this on the news. Uh, They touched on it, but there could be something a lot bigger going on that, that could be happening. Do you know that Israel was invaded on October, uh, it was, um, no, that was on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. Why would they do that? They knew that all the Jews would be in synagogue and they did it as a surprise attack. Well, we won anyway because the Lord will never let Israel fall again. And yet we see the stage set. I don't think we're going to be here next year. I really don't. Things are happening too quick, too fast. And we could talk about that war. We could talk about the war between China and Taiwan. As I was coming here today, I just found out that Japan and the United States have signed an agreement that if China goes after Taiwan, that they'll get directly involved. That's what I heard when it, before I came to the study tonight. Then we have the whole thing that um, we have Israel bombing um, installations, nuclear reactors in Iran. So we have the whole Ezekiel 38 scenario set up and ready to go. And that's all happening. Within the last year, all these pieces are coming together so quickly. And you ask the question, Dwight, what does that have to do with Christmas Eve? My answer is absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it, the only reason I'm bringing it up because somebody reminded me today that George Washington crossed the Delaware River on Christmas Eve. Now why do you suppose he did that? Because people were doing what you're doing, going to church, having going to your families, think they're preparing for war? Christmas Eve? Nah. 
well, what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now is happening on our Christmas Eve. And they say the, the major um, tactical, I call them military maneuvers, but they're, they're locked and loaded and ready to go, and tomorrow happens to be Christmas. And I think, ooh, isn't that interesting? Probably just a coincidence. No, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, it will happen. Uh, I don't know that one so much, but I know that the Bible clearly teaches the Ezekiel 38 war and also the complete destruction of Damascus that we're targeting right now because Iran is putting a lot of their military artillery in the south uh, side of Damascus. I think that's the next thing that's going to happen. I, th- I, I think we'll see it. Um, we could see it at any time. And um, I better close this thing up. <laughs> All that to say this. Sometimes we get together with family and friends and go to church only a couple times a year. And then we get caught up in our own life. But what did the Lord say? Unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you're not my disciple. Unless I'm number one, unless you confess me before men as your savior, I'll confess you before my father which is in heaven. Simple question in closing, where do you stand? What side of the fence are you on? Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. Do you know there's no neutral ground in Christianity? There is no neutral ground in Christianity. You are either for or you're against. What are the implications if you're for? Well, your names get confessed to the Heavenly Father. Well, what are the implications of if I say no? Well, ask the rich man who is very conscious and very much alive in hell as I speak only to be resurrected at the great white throne judgment, which is called the second death. And from there he gets cast into the lake of fire. Ah, come on, why does Christmas Eve? Do you have to come on that heavy? Well, I guess I haven't come to bring peace, but I guess tonight's study is sort of division, to bring a sword, to put you in a situation that's maybe I better think this one over. After all, what if he's right? And that is scary. I was through my back out this week and went to my chiropractor, got to lead him to the Lord several years ago. And um, he adjusted me in less than five minutes. And I was in his office for a half an hour to 45 minutes because all he wants to talk about Since we met, he's read through the Bible three times. And Todd, if you're watching tonight, Merry Christmas. And um, and I said, said, that's that's very impressive because he's only been in the Lord for maybe six or seven years and he's read through the entire Bible three times. And, And the reason I'm telling you that story is, there's a reason I'm telling you this story. Come, just wait for me. Okay, I remember now. He says, Dwight, I remember the time where you really got me attention. When you told me that you would not walk out that door and cross the street without knowing 
that you were saved. And he says, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Because I came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is the only way. And there's a reason that he came into this world. And that's where we're gonna be on Sunday. But there's four things he doesn't know. A sinner, he doesn't, a sin he doesn't hate, because he's holy. That's why he had to look away when the sins of the world were placed on Jesus. A sinner he doesn't love, the woman caught in adultery. They wanted to stone her. She said, go ahead. Let the guy with no sin be the first one to cast the stone. And all of a sudden, everybody remembered that they had something else to do. (laughs) And Jesus said, where are your accusers? None here, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. He didn't condone the sin. He said, go and sin no more. Don't, Don't you know that she became a believer? Don't you know she followed him the rest of her life? A sinner he doesn't love. He loved her. And then he said, the fourth thing, an alternative path to his throne. No, there's only one way. And the last thing, a better time to receive his son than right now. But we don't know because you have free will. But please weigh out the time frame and just how late it really could be. And what is your Christmas gift to him? What, we call, what do we call the gospel? Isn't it a free gift? You ever get a free gift and somebody gives you a gift and you take out your wallet and slip them a 20? That's an insult. So what can you do in return? Well, you accept the free gift and you say, thank you. And you become grateful. Grateful to the point where I believe this so much that it radically changed my life in 1970. And since I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit in 72, I haven't looked back. Oh, I blow it all the time. But I had never thought about leaving the Lord. And the righteous man says in Proverbs, fall seven times daily. That means in your best day as a Christian, you're gonna blow it seven times. Well, good news. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you've never accepted Jesus, you wanna give him a gift, give him your heart. That's what he came down looking for, a bride. A bride who would love him above father or mother or sister or brother or anything or anybody else. And I hope that's where you are this Christmas Eve. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we consider the Christmas story from a little different perspective tonight, it's different than other Christmas Eves in that, and this could be our last one on this planet, but Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help people just use common sense and just how much the scripture foretells your coming. I pray for any that hang in the balance right now and have never decided and are unsure that you would allow them to open their heart and this evening would be marked as a day they'll never forget when they gave their heart and their life to you. 
I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.